1: This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by BellaCatering.com.au. Guys, Bella Catering, one of Sydney's best catering companies, now exclusively clamped down into home delivery during the midst of COVID 19. We're on the precipice in New South Wales and Sydney area, lucky enough to not be completely locked down just yet. So if you're going to have people over at your house, why bother cooking? It sucks. So get Bella Catering, get some delicious food, at least let that help you. Get through, uh, you know, months worth of face-to-face catch-ups with folk, uh, and that is what you can do. You can jump onto bellacatering.com.au. They're great people. Glenn and Maria, thank you so much. They've been such an integral part in us bringing you the show during this lockdown, and we appreciate them very much. I hope you're enjoying all the President's Men. We have another banger of an episode for you. If you haven't listened yet, go back and listen to John Boorstin, the assistant to Alan J. Pakula. Welcome to the show. Let's do it.
2: At the moment, the time I got the call, about 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, June 17th,
1: That's
2: good. no one flashed a message to me, this is going to be one of the most important days of your life. I was in the office that day, and uh, I saw all this commotion around the city desk on this Saturday morning. Went to find out what it was, and there was this moment in history that became known as Watergate.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to all the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Today, I've got one of my newest, uh, newest, and favoriteest people. I know that doesn't actually make sense in the English language, but you'll understand as as the introduction grows. This incredible woman is a producer of independent features like The Last Time You Had Fun, Lake Los Angeles, No Light and No Land Anywhere, has programmed the Bentonville, the LA, Slam Dance and Sundance Film Festivals at different points, is the co-host of a terrific show called Who Shot Ya? And I met her during a... A hilariously awesome cinephile game night where we both crashed and burned really early after probably much more uh, much more expectations of our success than we really when we really earned basically at the end of the night. But watching her and her great co-host Iffy Nwadwe um, on together, and watching my guest watch Iffy vamp because he had no clue what the answer was was maybe one of my favorite things of the whole year. Maybe like this, in this garbage fire of a year, it was such joy. And I thought, A, I have to get both of those guys at, at different times onto my show. B, I want to become their friend. Um, and C, it was, just, it was just joyful. And it's something that now since I've recommended that Cinephile Game Night for folks who just miss it, just go along and watch and just watch Drea's face when Efi's answering a question. That's enough. That's enough. Welcome to all the President's Minutes, Dre Clark. Thank you so much.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me new friend. Um that that game was a fun experience. I do enjoy um showing the flexibility of my face in various stages of incredulous to disparaging when I'm looking at Iffy. Um, It is probably not a hard year to be a highlight for someone, but it still means a lot that you say that. So
1: thank you. Well, look, it it certainly was. It's a lot of fun. And I think those ones, you know, we're all firing. We're all movie nerds. And there's some of those games that I think sometimes the faster they go and the less weird they get, it kind of is a bit rote. Like it's just going through the motion. The more that the weirdness comes out or the more that someone's completely stumped and they have a name on the edge of their tongue and they're like, I can't get this out of my brain right now. And later on either in this game or tonight, I'm going to wake up in a cold sweat and remember that person who stumped me. Um, yeah. It's, and they're the fun moments and just watching people fall apart and, and trying to keep composed and then completely falling apart is, is the great fun of all of this in a fall game nights for particularly ours, So it was a lot of fun.
2: Truly. Yeah, it was a nice relief that um, I had worried of, ooh, are there going to be these high-pressure moments? But the minute I realized that I was just going to be a C student in this, um, uh, the pressure such, was off.
1: I was like, oh. There's such comfort being average yeah i mean uh,
2: none of this is on my shoulders <laughs> that's fine
1: I, I i did the same thing with my best friend maria lewis who was joint and, and and former host of uh, josie and the podcast our limited series and maria was just like she was kicking goals and i'm like man you just take it girl you kill it you just
2: she kill it. was amazing so, yeah no
1: her, her depth so of knowledge of bruce willis vod films on netflix was Almost Billy Ray level. So it was uh, very, very impressive. Very impressive indeed.
2: And when do you get to flex that? Never. <laughs> Never. All of Who, the, is, all who the- is ever like, do you know at least 35 Bruce Willis films? No one. No one ever asks you no. that.
1: No, but what happens is, because we at one point in time lived together, when she would be watching something terrible on Netflix, I now regret how many times I berated her for like, why are you watching this? It's garbage. Stop. Just stop watching this. Um, So in in cinephile game night, you are just, you're stacking up, you are stacking the deck. You're ready to go.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm always available to be a mediocre member of somebody's (laughs) team.
1: Oh, me too. For that matter. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this show. You guys on your show, cover a whole range of different topics, a whole range of different subjects, a whole range of like games and new films and old films and recommendations and all those sorts of things. But today I'm just putting you smack bang in the middle of one of the greatest scenes of one of the greatest American movies. And you are putting a microscope under Uh, an academy award nominated performance with jane alexander as the bookkeeper and dustin hoffman you as a person and because of the the sundance connection what's your relationship with this movie particularly all the president's men is a movie that you're fond of
2: i love the sundance connection i will say it is um it's funny looking back at older robert redford movies and he's just such a handsome man. It's stupid. Like, it's, it's this thing of, He's wearing oh, he, corduroy
1: and he makes you want to wear corduroy, which is. Not
2: just corduroy, Blake. An entire corduroy suit, you know? <laughs> and it looks good on him. Yeah. it's it's his, his face is ridiculous. Um, My relationship with this film is that I saw it 15 years. Some years, twenty years ago, however old I am, basically when I was in university, yes, and I remember studying it I think it's a it's a good uh, film film class movie for a lot of people because there is a lot to dig into in case someone in the future wanted to make um, a really elaborate podcast <laughs> where they like went minute by minute, you know or something crazy like that yeah um but yeah, I remember seeing it then. And I've also always been someone with a strong enough political streak or interest or conviction that, that I was intrigued by that. Um, so I was brought into parts of the story that I think some of my classmates or fellow viewers at that time when you're, you know, you're like in your early 20s and kind of an idiot, no matter who you are, yeah. were a, a little distanced from re-watching it it was interesting because you know I see so so a lot of the films I focus on especially are by first-time filmmakers yes. and so a lot of those are films based on real life obviously in those cases much more like small like oh my first love versus oh the real life book that i wrote about breaking down the watergate story (laughs) as a reporter for the washington post we don't all have the same real lives but it made me realize oh this has elements that i hadn't thought of when i first saw it which is um so often you see these real life based stories And you'll make a note on it if it's in the script or in the edit to the filmmaker of like, this might be a step too far, or is this twist necessary because you might be losing (laughs) audience or momentum or urgency. And the, the feedback is always, but that's what happened. Like that's what really happened. And in all the president's men and rewatching it and thinking of like my younger, really political mind. And I'm sure I was taking some kind of, um, poly Sci courses that were digging into similar moments in history. Yes. So I was like, "Yes, I want every moment in time." And this one, I was like, "Oh yeah, oh they left it all in there." <laughs> I'm sure they're. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of dumb dumb audiences yes. that. And and I say this, not, I would love to come on your podcast and be like, first things first, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's brilliant, and I loved it, and was so happy to revisit it. But that was one of the things that stood out to me in my later viewing of, oh, because I'm also viewing it as someone who's living in 2020 America and watching, there were, there's so, obviously you've touched on a lot of these, there's so many horrifying similarities, but there's also so many things of, oh, we as an American populace have, did not learn many of these lessons. Like the idea of like, history repeating itself <laughs> there's so many on the nose moments in this yes that it's like what? what are you kidding like <laughs> that i had even forgotten yes. so that is a very long answer to try and explain my um time traveling mindset both first and then this this particular rewatch but um yeah man it's food for thought this one
1: it's it's also it's it's so funny that you say that, Dre, because you know your instinct is you as a person who's programming and has that insight, and you're helping a young filmmaker. It's we've we've geared ourselves into if you don't capture people's attention and there is dead air, much like sometimes on a podcast, if there is dead air and we are not like unpacking it, the attention span is microcosmic, like it's, it's like oh, sorry, microscopic. It is not going to happen for you if if you leave too much dead air or the you know the intent the scene that you're unfolding it has to be doing something really there has to be a turbulent emotion has to be a huge reveal has to be something that like gives people something and i feel like in this movie it completely is counterintuitive to all of your contemporary instincts because even on you know things like sorkin's the newsroom and stuff like that which is a sort of a contemporary text that that they're all it it leaves no air there's no air. It's just all fast talk, all story, all drama. As fast as we can say these words to you, we're going to get them out. There will be no spaces. And even in the minute as we were watching, you know, taking my own notes for it again, I just, I love and un- I love personally and of this whole era, unanswered questions. I love yeah. it. Like a question that is asked and then there's dead air and you're oh, watching yeah. Alexander's face and you're watching Hoffman's shuffle paper and look and go, uh, uh how do I how do I recover from a non-answer at this moment? And it's, it's all these counterintuitive things, I think, but funnily enough, and this is, you know, with great movies, like a maniac like me, who's done heat and, and now all the president's men, these movies fly for me. Like there are movies that are 90 minutes that feel like you are being punched in the face every 10 seconds. Like, oh, this could not taking any longer you look at your watch and you can't believe it's only got a 90 minute running time whereas like this movie over two hours um you know nearly two hours 45 you are just breezing through it, it like it feels like well i'm even watching this now we're nearly at 80 minutes in. i'm like oh my god we haven't even gotten to some juicy bits yet There's oh yeah juicy bits to come <laughs> well
2: paralleling that with the idea of programming so programming for film festivals is you know selecting which films are going to be shown and you're you're looking both for um what can i bring to the unique audience Um, what am i fulfilling in terms of mission of organization um but then you're also really hoping to launch new talent ideally sell the film and have a film be a tremendous success but also like i said a lot of my work has been done with first time director. So like I programmed Lynn Shelton's first film. I programmed Sean Baker's first film, Um, Drake Doremus. Like there's a lot of filmmakers that you're looking at their work and it's not just like you probably didn't see the film I programmed of it, but are they going on? And in that, what I'm always looking for and what I'm always encouraging emerging filmmakers is You cannot say enough about POV, like point of view, that what a director's perspective is doing in terms of honing in every department, utilizing the script, utilizing performances, utilizing everything, that's the director's job, right? That's all they're doing. They're answering (laughs) eight million questions every day to convey this POV. And I think with all the president's men, and this scene's a great example of it, of what you 're getting in the choices for every movie, every step of the way, how are you presenting this information like yeah. am i giving are you giving me like the generic coverage of all right we 're going to start in a two shot and then a one shot and then it 's going to get closer and closer and there 's a master like there's there 's the obvious and then there 's that like well, we can we could dig into this scene first for sure and i 'm very excited to but i the other part of why i liked this scene in the microcosm of this film as well what stood out to me this time in all the president's men in the eyes of someone who's because i'm not a film reviewer like we talk yes. about films on my podcast but i'm not a critic yes what i'm always looking for it's it's a different angle in than a lot of people would have i think and so with all the president's men and rewatching it it's this thing of what's really interesting it's it's a movie that the big story that's happening is like the D storyline. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like the presidency and Nixon and his reelection committee and what they're doing to hold on to that presidency by all costs. Yes. That normally would be the A storyline, right? Normally you'd be creeping around. You'd be following uh, Segretti. You'd be watching all of the, like, the Canuck letter and all of this stuff. (laughs) This movie's like, no. No one's really interested in that. What they want to see, they want to see people doing homework. You know, like, <laughs> so they made like making it about the journalist, like that's a POV. And, yes. and a lot of people could adapt the same exact source material and been like, cool, you guys are like the the bookends of the story, right? Like that's we're going to start with, with Wood, Woodstein and then we'll end with that. But like, then we'll get into the good stuff. And this movie's always like, no. First and foremost, it's it's how they're doing this homework, this journalistic homework. And this scene is a great example of you have, like, your story would normally be, oh, there's this woman whose home is being intruded on by this strange man who's kind of weaseled his way in <laughs> and, like, has just, like, taken over her coffee machine and... You know what I mean? There's like an invasive thing. Like normally, the side like 40 of forty of this
1: person's cigarettes.
2: Yes, uh. <laughs> this the sympathy you would normally have in the scene would just be a hundred percent on her. And so the the POV, what what I was almost just called him Alan. You know, like we're on a first name basis. <laughs> what the director was bringing to this and how they he frames everything gives us that POV. It gives us that directive and i I found that such a such an interesting way to look at it in in terms of like always like oh, everything about this concentrates on the part you wouldn't naturally like concentrate on I don't I, think
1: I also think there's a great there's just by coincidence at the time that we're talking about this at the time, which is very close to the time that people are going to hear it um there's been some dialogue with like you know who are the best who are the best current like film critics in the discourse like uh, you know, either pros or indies who talk about film form. And I think that that's something that you dig into probably more innately, Dre, in your job, because you're like, the POV is the form. You know, mm-hmm. if you're seeing repetitive formal notes and it's like it must be like a chord structure in a song you're like oh every song sounds the same like all these pop songs have got the same structure and you're looking for exactly what about that formal construction is unique and if the voice is unique and if the way that it's structured something will leap out at you like a sean baker or a lynn shelton like they pop you'd go oh hello oh excuse me i'm sorry there's someone has a there's a voice here. There's a voice of someone that is giving me something different. There are obviously rules that people adhere to, but very much that, that that there's a unique voice here. And I think that that's what Pakula does so beautifully is that, like you said, the command of the perspective of this movie to just never take you away from these guys and the inference like of the entire massive, huge machine of American politics that is all working on the outside. That's all on the outside. And even if... Right. In- even in the master, the wide shot, as you said, that sometimes would have happened way earlier, not six minutes to this scene, but probably way earlier in this scene, the establishing wide, is this incredible surveillance tinged thing that is just the one inference that like, hey, everything that these guys are doing, probably people know about, whether that's the FBI or the government or everyone's being watched, everyone's in danger. But I don't know if these guys can plug up all the holes in their sinking ship before this thing gets, you know, before this thing gets sunk. So, yeah, it's really interesting. But I, I, that's one interesting thing talking to you about, like you're just looking at visual cinematic language as like your first gateway in sometimes, I guess, is as a nice way to do it. Because I think so many people sometimes focus on the story. And this moment could be all story, but it's actually all the mood. It's all the tone. It's all the light. Yeah. The light. It's everything about how this is constructed.
2: But the story it's it's all like it's so symbiotic right that if you weren't if you weren't having a story that was having these guys you know writing on every imaginable napkin scrap (laughs) that you can get and do you know Um, that had these choices or that were following every thread like again if if this had been presented to me right now if this was not part of American history if Watergate was nothing and it was someone's fictional creation and I was handed this script I would be like oh I'm really excited about it now let's dig into basically the beginning of act three onward because (laughs) there starts to be so many it's that it's a weird thing because I have such respect for moviegoers because I am a moviegoer yes but I also know what people are getting from film is at such different levels. And sometimes it's like, okay, you're up your own ass with this. Can't make it more explainable or like more easily comprehendable to any viewer Because what do you get from being, you know, like pretentious (laughs) about it? And so not that I think this is pretentious, but there is like stuff that really happened with this investigation, with the post investigation, that if I was looking at it on a script level as a work of fiction, I'd be like, okay, stop. Uh wait, who I, are we trying to
1: implicate? Like too many names. I do, not, and, right? and, and 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 now in the countless times I've viewed this, it's funny talking to people. It's like the first time through, they say too many names that you can't follow. And one of the arts of this movie is that by the end, you you've got enough. Like there's enough. And then when you go yeah. back, you're like, oh, they say Magruder, and they say you know, they say Liddy, and who is Liddy? I want to know who Liddy is and what he's done. And it's just one of those weird things that like on a on a can. On a script level, I imagine you're like, wait, wait, stop. You've said fourteen names here. We don't know what happens to, we don't know what happens to at least eleven of them. You have to give me more closure than that. If I'm reading this as a as as a consumer, but yeah, no, you. It's and they
2: also. It's interesting in the story of it. Of if if it was fictionalized, you know, they're literally no matter what you're watching, it could be like a story about ponies actually there's a whole brony thing so that's probably not a great example (laughs) the the whole thing of right don't don't bring that up but like the whole idea everybody's like can we make this sexier like the idea of follow the money is sort of sexy if like oh are we going to end up with like really wealthy really whatever but there's it's never even that right like there's all these intangibles of wait why i i learned this whole person just so i would find out about another person to get to another person like and so it's convoluted in a way that real life very much is. So those things are also of interest. That's maybe more my producer brain of, okay, <laughs> nope, I'm okay smart. I mean, I'm a mediocre cinephile player, <laughs> but I'm okay smart. However, I need this taken like a second. But there's also then to their credit of, no, don't dumb things down. People will get what they get Yeah. and you take out. And that's where the re- that's where the POV comes in to fill in the rest. I may not when I was 20 or whatever, tracked every name they were saying and like, wait, who are we? What are we even trying to find out? But I knew who I was following. I knew the urgency of it. I knew the intent. And then I was getting all of those other layers of things of how these two guys have their different approaches and how them working together, like even starts to refine like each other. So the scene that we're discussing, which I I love for a lot of reasons the it. scene. I'm sorry, the minute in a scene, but to me, it's this hilarious moment of, oh, this is where I think um, Bernstein is most trying to emulate Woodward's approach 100%. because he's like, Oh, I'm gonna take a seat right he's like walky and twitchy and he's the guy who pushes Ned Beatty and like he's <laughs> he's like his like hands-on hits guy and this is a scene and where he's
1: guy's like, flirting with a secretary who's just like this the, 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 door. the doors yeah, are shut I mean like she's like he's like yeah. still here and she goes I'm glad <laughs> yeah. like, that she's, guy.
2: she's my hero I, I give that face a lot <laughs> yes but like so this is his scene where he's like okay what would Woodward do What's my bracelet? W W W D. And then he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink coffee, and I'm gonna just like talk to her." But he also has his Bernstein of the like smoking nonstop and drinking coffee nuts. It's this funny hybrid of what <laughs> of how these journalists who are you're
1: watching him. Bubble, also, you're watching him wrestle with it. Like yeah. that's so great in this minute. He's like, yes. especially when she doesn't answer. He's like, "Oh, just." ignore what I'm doing here just for my memory because I just little like things those ticks and I think that that's what's magic because it's not effortless like when you go back if you go all the way back to that wonderful courtroom scene with Woodward like his his true technique might his true value as a journalist may not necessarily be sometimes like structuring a piece but he can extract information out of a source like blood from a stone instantaneously. Like he, he will get it out. He just sees something about people wanting to talk to him also helps. He makes corduroy suits look good, you know, in the, in the, in the romance of this movie, but that there's that lawyer spilling the beans to him and just saying more and implicating more and saying all this weird stuff. And he's just like, he doesn't even realize that he's just, it's just falling out of his face. And there's Redford's Woodward just picking it all up and then taking it back to Harry. And then eventually, you know, starting to figure out how this thing works. And that's what I love about this moment. Exactly. As you said, this entire scene is, and the next one's more overt when they're in his off, uh, when they're in Woodward's house and they're actually starting to strategize together. But this is the moment where you're like, actually, if I play this like me, I'm out the door. And yeah. I, I and you're watching in real time Hoffman make that feel like it's completely spontaneous, completely just instinct. I've got to go this direction. It's 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 one of the magic one of the magic things about this scene.
2: It's also such a great indicator of this is a film that takes advantage of people's innate knowledge of how humans read each other. Yes. And so like Obviously no one other than Robert Redford and sort of Brad Pitt look like that, but like the actual Woodward handsome enough guy and the actual Bernstein nervous enough guy. Like it fits, it fits what that is. And the idea of that their skills as journalists have been so influenced of how they're perceived by the world. Like the Woodward is comfortable just asking people things because people are always comfortable having that guy around. Like, this is a movie where we watch just legions of white men <laughs> making all of the decisions and calling all of the shots and begging women for information so they can keep doing it, but then not crediting them in any way. Um, but you know, the the other even within the white guy tier, there's the idea of like, yes, is this like waspy? the attractive, calm guy who's only been on the paper for nine months, you know, that of course he's like moving up the staircase surely because that's who moves up the staircase right like it's it's part of his whole how he gets things out of people is the absolute lack of fear like of course they're gonna tell me I mean you see what I look like right like (laughs) I'm the guy I'm always the guy whereas Bernstein even in the same pot is like oh i'm grinding more and i make people a little nervous i'm a little jewish like there's (laughs) there's things that he's battling against societally that woodward is not it affects how they do their investigations
1: and it's even in the flirtation so that great scene on the q hotel where he's flirting with the secretary earlier he's just right out on front street she's like i heard about you you're a bit and he's like what do you mean and he's the, all the, what do you mean is the posture is different. He's just right out on front street. Yes. I'm a sex fiend. Yes. You know it. I cycle around Washington. This is what I do. It's fine. Whereas like the, the, the fearlessness comes with the confidence of like, I'm just a, I'm just a middle American guy. I, I you see what you get. Yeah. And both those guys like get that essence so much. And like Hoffman obviously at the time, you know, start at the time movie actor, he's there. He's, he can bring all of that to the Bernstein bit as, you know, probably Bernstein would like to think of himself as a Hoffman at sure. that time, as, as anyone would, right? Like have, have these guys play you if you can. But, um, but yeah, I think that's so funny that like in this moment you're watching a guy go, I can't do any of the things that my natural instincts tell me to do. And, yeah. and, you know, I don't know if you've had those moments, I've had them at different jobs. I've had them at different work. It's like, there's a flood of emotion and there's a flood of instinct that happened with something in your life and it's there and you're right in front of it and it's like, how I react to this next could be how Blake normally reacts. <laughs> yeah, it's like you talk right. about yourself, That Versus like how Dreo is gonna react in the next second is gonna be this, like your internal narrator, and then you're like, No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a tact on this. And it may not be your instinct, but it's like that is the best course of action because for that second you catch yourself in slow motion and go, No. I'm not going to go this way. I'm going to go somewhere other way.
2: But that's the growth of things, right? Like, I think, like, I, I, I'm probably repeating myself a little, but you know, there's that wonderful moment early on where Woodward's been typing things. He notices Bernstein keeps taking his stuff and is essentially correcting it. Bernstein points out, well, my version's better because I led with this. I said this right away. It's structured, whatever. And then that, moment when Woodward instead of the normal reaction of defensiveness of you know whatever I'm look at me I'm class president my whole life (laughs) he instead is like You're right, your version's better. Like the teachable moment of that, to me, this moment with Bernstein is the reflection of that. Of he has been watching someone else's investigative style, someone else's questioning, reasoning, the tone they take with people. And this is when he decides, like you say, like he has his first instinct, and then he thinks, How am I gonna grow in my craft? I'm gonna try this tactic. And it's not a a hugely different. He's (laughs) asking questions, but you know, he is, he's he for all of his like hyped up caffeine and chain smoking he's calmer like he's he's nervous but he's taking his time with it he's letting her sit with it and he needs to because the other part of the scene that's set up so well or i keep saying scene but again our one minute is
1: you're allowed to say scene. We're, we're, scene, we're, scene, cheating, yeah. we're we're cheating liberally this is what I'm sure <laughs> Sorry, but- but as long as we, we will tackle the actual minute in a moment, but I think I'm, I'm, oh, okay. I'm enjoying the intersections of what we're talking about. So yeah, the scene itself, you're saying?
2: Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I don't want to like throw off the order of things, but there's also like the, the framing of it, the idea yes. of this dialogue is done as a dialogue. It's a <laughs> one shot of him, a one shot of her. They are on different sides of the frame. They are, you know, like we're not close in on them. We're back enough. We're we're the third person in this room, right? It's this triangle seating, and we are the third person yeah. watching these two people. They're completely separate, and so then there's also that's what I felt like the microcosm of how I see this story. Normally, the big story would be the actual Watergate and throw, you know, like all of the trickliness of getting in on that election, and then the journalism would be down here, yes. and this this moment it's like all normally all of the story would be the give me the names give me the whatever and instead we're <laughs> focusing on we are watching this woman eke out in the smallest ways information and she is there's no manipulation of it she no. is in control of this conversation she's leading this dialogue she's which differs from the follow up exchange they have yeah. when woodward is with him in this moment she is is like i was saying before like normally this is this mo- oh this man has burst into this woman's home <laughs> normally our sympathy would all be for her but she's she is in charge of what she's wanting to release and there's also in her performance it's like this limited dialogue it's these pauses but there's a sense of right and wrong. And that keeps coming across in a lot of different performances, yeah. particularly with the people who do give them information. Yes. It's this just black and white, right or wrong element. And I love it. It might, I can't remember. Is the um no, I think it's after our minute, when she says that it would be great if you could get Mitchell. <laughs> like,
1: it's uh, it's just after us. Yeah, it's, it's just after. It's yeah, just after. But,
2: but so it's she's like cooking up for that. So but this part he's asked for this like, you know they found out there's these 15 names and they're wondering about the amount of money and actually before we
1: before we dive into oh yeah the point for folks listening at home, Dre and I have had too much fun and we've gone oh, yeah, yeah. It. so what we're gonna do is you guys are gonna listen along to this minute the 78th minute cue it up on your doll very fortunately there is and should be only one version of all the president's men out there whether you're watching on VOD or blu-ray it is one hour 17 minutes to one hour 18 minutes the 78th minute this is now really the third or fourth depending on where you sort of market um, uh, the third or fourth minute that's really in in this scene and we've still got a few minutes to go and this is the You know, this is the centerpiece of this entire film. So we're we're, we're carving it up in a lot of different ways. We're going to quickly watch it slash listen to it along now. You guys are going to listen along, and then we're going to come back and talk about it.
2: Not in one big chunk. There was a list of 15 names and the amount of money given to each person next to the name. What happened to the list? It was destroyed. It was the only record. This, so don't pay any attention. This, this, this is just for my memory. I hate the... This thing that I have a very bad memory. It won't be quoted uh, by name. In fact, we get confirmations before we print anything. I can't be positive that that money was used for the break-in, you understand? Yes, I do. But uh, people sure are worried. Which people? think you could help me with the uh, uh,
1: disbursement
2: of money in terms of the number of people that were involved, just how many. Nice. Yep.
1: There it is. Uh, the, the, I just want to say one factoid. There's eight seconds between the time that she says people are worried and the time that he asks what, which people and there is eight seconds or about seven and a half, I think, if you if you went to it of dead silence in that minute. And it is, that is a cavernous hole in in the, in the center of that beautiful little interplay there. Um, And it's probably my favorite moment because Jane Alexander's face. Yes. No, uh, Alan Pakula in a great little interview that I tagged on the front of the 76th episode. So if you go back, you can listen to it. It's the actual narration preamble of that episode. Pakula talking about saying, you know, going home to his wife every day when they were shooting this scene, saying, I wish I should be paying $25 a day to sit down and watch these two guys do this because he was so impressed with her performance, Hoffman's performance. But oh man, I, I've said it a couple of times, but I just feel like she's a storm. Like there's a storm happening inside this woman and she's so you know, glacially perfectly composed and it's just uh, the way the lighting works, even though it's sort of interrogation lighting, if you like, but she's just magnificent. And I, I've watched this scene now. I'm already an obsessive Has watched this movie countless times. And now in preparation for all these episodes, I've watched it again and again. And it is just, this is the scene that you, this is a, this is a, talk about teachable moments. This is a teachable scene. If you're an actor, male or female, um, you, you know, anyone, however, however you define yourself, um, whatever pronoun you use that makes you feel comfortable. This person's performance is as good as it gets.
2: They, I, I agree on so many levels. It's, you know, so much of acting in people who are truly, um, just good at their craft is in, is in reaction. And what Jane Alexander is doing is she's reacting both to Dustin Hoffman. She's also reacting to her own internal thoughts. It is very, very difficult to convey. Like, just try, please. Get your (laughs) phone out. Film yourself trying to look like you're thinking about something. Like, it is difficult to convey concern and nervousness and thinking long-term and you can look at her and she's completely still, but yes, like a storm is good. There's so much thought going on in her head. Um, and I also, you know, we we were talking about the framing earlier. This is, they are in a an incredibly domestic looking setup. They're inside a home. Yes. It's, there's like a cozy, like there's an afghan over the chair. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's like ugly art on the wall but it is also the weirdest alcove nook you've ever seen yeah. they're not in a real room everything about it it's like it's like oh these are just those weird chairs that people have next to their front door that no one ever sits in <laughs> like you, you right like you change yeah. your shoes there and instead my, wife, gonna...
1: my wife's nana has a couch in the front room yes. of us that i've never seen a human being sit on
2: Blake, you never will. (laughs) No one is meant to sit on that couch. But so they're in this area and we are creeping in on it. We're sort of looking through the banister when it's all being set up. And it, it, again, it sets, we're in this woman's space. It has this domesticated feel to it. She is also like in very comfortable clothing. Her hair is down. She's not, you know, like even when they interview, um, oh, uh, Stephen
1: uh, Graham's character, the, oh, who? Oh, no, he's, uh, um, no, um I'll, 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 I've lost his name. I'll get it for you, But you're talking. Yeah, Stephen Graham's character.
2: Tall, handsome. Anyway, even when they interview him at home, he's in a shirt and tie. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, there's something about when they speak to women in this. Oh, other he, than that.
1: Sorry, Stephen Collins, Hugh Sloan's character.
2: Collins, yes, yeah, he's, Sloan, Sloan. Yeah, he's he's Stephen there. Stephen Graham.
1: There, He's there in his tie. He's, he's, he's looking very, very smart. Very yes. well tied, yes.
2: Yes, right. He's still, he just looks like, oh, you are either in finance or government. Like, there's no <laughs> other choice for you, man. <laughs> like, in this scene, we get this woman, and, and most of the women we see in this film are in their own homes, are in domestic settings, and she is no different even though she's the bookkeeper what she has access to are their finances like it's this very like right-brained analytical job and you know she can obviously has so much information in her head but what we get from this person who has cold and hard figures and facts is so much of an emotional response and you also do have to credit the editor for that like yes it's to and to leave to build in and cook in those eight seconds and that counts.
1: The the relationship between, I mean, really, Mr. pakula and all of his team, but particularly also Robert L. Wolf. So Robert L. Wolf is the editor of this movie. He's a pack and par editor, so you know that he knows how to build speed, build tension fast cut, slow mo, all those things. And I think what is amazing is this is a guy who came in and could cut this movie this way. And in 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 the 76th episode, you hear the great John Borston join us who was Alan Pakula's assistant on, on set. And he talks about they structured these scenes for air. So even Robert O'Wolf's preliminary cuts, they had to go back to the drawing board and go, no, we, we've cut too much out. There's something that's not right. And then Finding those exact moments where you give the space before you then cut to the next person, and like I said, that yawning seven and a half to eight second gap just the to be so mercurial to like i'm gonna get it, that one 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 hundredth of a second or two one hundredths of a second, and people who sometimes agonize over whether you're editing audio or video, oh, yeah, like, sometimes really one-tenth of a second makes a massive difference and that for for just casual listeners or casual viewers might go, no, that couldn't. And you're like, yes, it actually does. And so this, this whole interplay is like the patience to go, we are going to go this and just tweak and tweak and tweak until it has that. I don't know. It still doesn't lose any of its momentum, It's just strange, even though it is right. a pause in the movie and the tone shift, because they're like, it is a big montage music, you know, shires scores popping up doors being slammed in their faces you know, butting their heads up against the wall again. And then now we get into this very slow moment, but it it still doesn't seem to lose any steam.
2: But that's part of that is, you know, people talk a lot about moments that allow a film to take a breath. Mm. And I think this is one of those, like you, we have been going so frenetically, we've been watching them pound the literal pavement. Yes. And so to have a scene where like they sit down there's moments, it's not like a door's, I'm not answering a door's being shut or I'm the wrong person or whatever. There's, I'm going to engage. I'm going to be thinking deliberately and carefully about what I say. Do you know what I mean? It is, and it's like anything else. If you go into, you know, you've watched movies and there's some movies that do them well. Crank, great. Crank <laughs> should be at level 10 the whole time. And it yes. kind of is.
1: And if you do like, you can't complain that, crank has got any low points
2: no it's called crank i mean you you knew what you, you were signing up for but f- for most films it's the same with songs with literature like the the taking a breath you need those um you need things to have peaks and valleys you need yeah. the different levels of what you as a viewer are doing because even then you know that's when we're also collecting we're parsing through the information we've been giving what is he trying to get out of her because at this point I'm like okay she's a bookkeeper what am what do we need from her what's this list of names what so a lot of his questions you're like please answer and then also explain what they mean you know like you need a moment to sit with this stuff anyway because this is when this is when you turn and you are in the weeds now with information like everything is just turned into that weird you know serial killer wall where they are like <laughs> pictures and maps and they've drawn yes. and they have string connecting right, right one behind thing to another.
1: in the video that we're talking about is a true detective poster and it's one of my favorite moments in true detective where rust and cole opens his garage locker and there's this ginormous cork board and it's covered with things and there's trinket and weird stuff and you're like this guy's insane and that's the kind of, that's the kind of moment you need for catharsis but dre you put it better almost than anyone that i've heard here which is she is not only responding to the questions that he is asking her, but responding to the thoughts that she's having in her own head unprompted because what she does, which I love the dialogue is she tells him there was a list, a single list of 15 names that they were keeping for themselves. So this is where the awakening of her, like this is actually illegal stuff going on. She says that it's there. It was the only record. And then she goes, but it was destroyed. So she starts to tell him like, The thing that could basically, that is the smoking gun in this entire thing is gone. So now we have to reverse engineer Mm -hmm. it. And also then the people are worried and I didn't think anything was illegal going on. But, and the fact that she's said that it's destroyed is almost like a micro awakening to her. Like, oh shit. Well, if there was only one record and we destroyed it, then we don't want people to know what was happening. And so that just there's tiny little revelations, but it's, it's the way that she's responding and how the sentences are structured there and figuring out like, what is her thought versus what is her answering the question? I think is that really like, it's such a, like a perfect scripting character technique. Cause not, People don't just always answer things. They sort of want to cover their own butt and then they want to talk themselves. Oh, yeah around. And that's such a great technique. Cause it's like coming at those different angles and how she's responding and it feels so authentic and organic. Cause that's how the flow goes, right? You're trying to cu- cover your own butt essentially.
2: Yeah. Every interrogation they have with someone in this has shades of what is the percentage that, of self-protection Yes. versus the protection or the percentage of transparency yes like it's every every single thing they're doing, like deep throat uh self protection's at ninety eight percent what I mean transparent knowledge is at two she's on the other end of that scale, so with all of them you're watching how they're couched, but it's that you know it's something we all go through of you could be needling something, puzzling something over. And then if you get to the stage where you say it out loud to someone, the second you say it out loud, you're like, okay, I hear that. I hear that. Oh yeah. We had one list. It's been destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Am I one of the bad
1: guys? Yes.
2: Yes. Like, so And it's, it's, it's couched in her performance. It's structured into the dialogue. It's yeah. It's just a, it's just, it's a good human moment. And this is all. Also one, you know, like the Oscars deservedly should take a lot of heat for the idea of what has been considered historically to be a good film, to be a worthy, like, it's like how comedies are always considered lesser forms of cinema in the eyes of the Academy which is ridiculous to anyone who's ever made a comedy or looked at comedies that have like just as much nuance and thought and artfulness as, um, Man, this, as a drama would. I mean, uh, uh,
1: people who have listened to this network know how happy we are that Josie and the Pussycats is getting its due since 2001 and people re-enjoying that movie. But like, I think it was, the minute you said it, I'm like, if you think about it, this is Spinal Tap and you try and tell me that that movie doesn't have the artistry, like it, even though it is yeah. profoundly hilarious, it's like if you tell me that that movie isn't influential or worthy of recognition, right. way, it's like, it, are you insane? Do you know? Do you know how many people have been striving for a Spinal Tap from the second it was made? Like it has oh. thing, and you know, Blazing Saddles. Like stop it. Just you know, there's just some movies that are that comedies like that. Yeah, worthiness and the Oscars don't necessarily go hand in
2: and hers, her being nominated for Best Supporting Actress is something that could fall into that in terms yeah. of if you're looking at genres of like comedy versus drama versus whatever and the credit they get, you're also looking at like quantity. <laughs> and so like the idea of screen time in this overall for this overall film, both the percentage of time she's on, but just the amount of time she's on at all the level of involvement she has, which is largely passive, like, do you know what I mean? She's not like chasing stuff down. It's, but, but the burden of craft on her and what people are bringing, it's, it's, it's why it's so difficult to, to gauge things against each other. It's why, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm,
1: But it's, but it's it's one of those things that you go, this is one of those nominations where you're like, Oh, they can find the good ones. You know, people, the, the Academy has seen this performance and you know, the acting branch is massive and obviously the directing branch is pretty much next, but it's like, it's people looking at this performance going, if Jane Alexander does not knock this out of the park at the moment that it falls in this movie that is recognized as one of the best of the year, maybe one of the best of the decade, And certainly in my mind, one of the best American movies ever made. It's like, if she doesn't knock this out of the park and this whole scene doesn't have the alchemy that it has, the movie fails. Like, it's like they have to nail this scene so profoundly and perfectly and pitch perfect for the rest, for the momentum of the rest of the movie and how everything else is structured that if they don't nail it, it sucks but they get it and you're like oh you got it you saw like you saw yeah. how important this was and it comes around every now and then it's one of those things that you know the Oscars and just awards in general are so infuriating about where you're like oh you didn't see it and then sometimes they're like and the best picture is Parasite and you're like oh my god I can't believe you it. Saw it you yeah. saw it you saw it you saw what we all saw it's just one of those things that um, yeah it's, it's, it's frustrating but also you know
2: yes nothing. Oh joy a lot of a lot of stuff i mean and you could do maybe you will blake like don't let me sell your empire short <laughs> you could do an entire whole thing on the weird machinations and political breakdown of oscar campaigns but yeah this one was a nice i also have such a soft spot i'm for just
1: it. gonna say because Dre, you're not the first person on this show that offers me <laughs> what the next show is and i'm just telling you right now that's not for me i'm not in <laughs> okay i'm all I'm out, I'm out i'll relinquish that to okay good awards pundits uh, and experts if if chris tapley if chris tapley is listening that's him chris <laughs> be yours baby i'm out
2: yeah i'm not a i'm not a good awards person in remembering them um but i i do always like to hear about the underbelly political machinations <laughs> of like campaigns and stuff because it's the idea of people thinking like oh i don't yeah the oscars that's not like a clear merit based what I, there's millions of dollars that go into this but that's a whole other maybe for um for anyone who's listening can dig on that but jane alexander you have to love that her career ended up in a political um element like running <laughs> she wor- she ran under clinton right the yep. national endowment for the arts and which is such a nice little like boop, like a little button on, oh, well, you may know me from all the president's men. You may now know me as part of the Clinton administration. (laughs) Twist.
1: (laughs) I was leaving the gap there for trying to tag that (laughs) gag. Absolutely nailed it. Oh my goodness. Look, and I'm glad now that I'm talking about, you know, when you're doing this sort of thing that, it's got the award recognition but like you said it it is a fascinating underbelly because you know my my favorite film this is one of my favorites my favorite film of all time is michael man's heat it has zero academy award nominations and wins and the joker had 14. um uh, so 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 you know i i just
2: we need would, another hour blake we would
1: need <laughs> well, another we, hour what, we, need, what, <laughs> we need way more time um Dre, this has been an absolute thrill talking to you. Thank you so much for uh, flexing your amazing programming mind and your instincts for POV on one single minute of a movie rather than uh, entire films, entire bodies of work, entire um, archives of people's stuff. So I just want to say thank you so much. It's been an absolute blast talking to you for the show.
2: This was so fun. Thank you. I'm honored that you invited me.
1: The honor and the pleasure absolutely all mine. That was the incredible Drea Clark. Of course, you can find her at her great podcast, Who Shot Ya? with Ifin Wideway, which we mentioned on the show, or on Twitter, at the Drea Clark, um, and on her website, DreaClark.com. Now, uh, all that Stuff is in the description of the show. Thank you very much for listening again to all the President's Minutes. It's been an absolute monster week. We have one more episode this week coming to you, and then we have another load of week next week. Thank you to everyone for supporting, listening, sharing, anything you are doing. We appreciate it. We've got some really great stuff happening on One Heat Minute Productions, including a brand new Patreon exclusive weekly video and audio podcast coming up. More of that to come very soon. But until then, subscribe, rate, Chuck us a review. We appreciate you. I am one Blake Minute on the socials at ATPM pod for this one. Oneheatminute.com. Catch you on another episode very, very soon.